When Tim Wagner worked at Amazon, he invented AWS Lambda. After working on the early serverless infrastructure, he joined Coinbase and worked as VP of Engineering. Since leaving Coinbase, he has started a new company called Vendia. Vendia combines his learnings from the serverless space with the innovations around blockchains to work on the problem of data sharing. Tim and David Wells join the show to discuss what they're working on with Vendia. Guys, welcome to the show. Hi there. Welcome, uh, welcome to you, and uh, thanks for having us on today. So you both work at Vendia, and before that, you respectively worked at AWS, Tim, and uh, David, you worked at Netlify. Those are pretty cutting-edge companies doing a lot in serverless and cloud computing. How did you respectively come to the problem set that Vendia is working on? I can kick us off here a little bit. So CEO and founder of Vendia had been at AWS for about six years, where I started what's uh, what's now known as Lambda, uh, way back in the day when it was just a, you know, kind of a six-pager on how can we make the cloud a little bit easier for uh, for, for folks to use. And then um, after growing the, the serverless team there, had been down in the, in the Bay Area for a year as the VP of engineering at Coinbase. So got a chance to also see some of the distributed ledger technologies kind of in play and maybe some of the places where they, uh, <laughs> they actually don't play quite so well. So Vendia is, is in some sense, for me, the, uh, the culmination of those two things. The, the name stands for as a kind of a contraction of Venn diagram. This is this idea of the coming together of distributed ledgers and serverless technologies together. So that, that's a little bit uh, of the path by which, the journey by which I got here. We're very excited to have, have David as, as part of the team. I'll let him tell a little bit about his, uh, you know, his, his own sort of India origin story. Before working at, at Netlify, I actually was working at Serverless Inc. And that's actually where I, I kind of started dipping my toes into this whole serverless world, using Lambda functions, et cetera, all the stuff that, that, that Tim kind of pioneered. And yeah, I've always been focused on like developer experience and making tools as accessible as possible. So, so after uh, working at, at Serverless on the Serverless framework for for quite a while, uh, I, I switched over to Netlify, where they have like a really nice kind of onboarding flow to to the Serverless world as well. But yeah, I heard Tim was working on this kind of new new kind of idea uh, with uh, distributed ledger tech and. At the time as well, I'd been I'd been doing a bunch of research into just just how you can use the the kind of embarrassingly parallel serverless compute as as kind of a, a new way to do things and a new way to do things at a massive scale, kind of like a fraction of the time. So yeah, I, I joined up over here at Vindia, and that's kind of how I came over here. Tim, can you go a little bit deeper on the problems that Vindia is trying to solve? Sure, absolutely, and, I, and I'll kind of kick this off by saying, just like I think the word serverless has had uh, has had an, an interesting amount of uh, uh, debate as to whether or not that's actually a good uh, a good moniker. You know, we feel a little bit about the same way about uh, about blockchain, in part because there's some great ideas there, you know, tamper proofing distributed ledgers, uh, information and data sharing. It's also kind of been associated with maybe some of the darker side of you know of, of crypto and certainly some of the performance challenges and some of the failed enterprise experiments. So we can <laughs> chat about uh, you know, all, all of those pieces. But the one thing I would say here is that no enterprise has a blockchain problem, but every enterprise has a data and data sharing problem. Technologies like uh, uh, electronic data interchange or EDI, uh, at this point go back almost half a century. 
uh, you know, the problems of sharing data and data silos and information uh, consistency certainly predate computers. Uh, you know, enterprises have been struggling with how to work with their partners, with their customers, how to share accurate and up-to-date information, you know, since pencil and paper was the was kind of the reigning technology here. Um, and so all of that is, in some ways, is a very old problem. Think about, you know, things like TP monitors, right, that, you know, were kind of classic enterprise uh, uh, solutions for many, many years. So. That's the part that's been interestingly, uh, interestingly different of late. There are all these incredible disruptive uh, technologies now. Obviously, the public cloud has changed things. But then even within that, these new modern ideas about distributed ledgers, the advent and the, the escalation of serverless and all the things that it's capable of doing, uh, not just the sort of the original idea, but all the things that uh, AWS and the other clouds have continued to add to that and grow to that set of capabilities. And now with Vendia, you know, the idea of kind of bringing those the capabilities of both of those things together. So we help customers with everything from supply chain optimization to uh, being able to, in the case of uh, one of our, our companies, uh, the Best Friends Animal Society, uh, actually helping to get pets back to their owners. So being able to kind of match up where a dog or cat might be, you know, in a pet shelter versus all the people who are looking for those and create a single consistent up-to-date uh, database of information, even though there are thousands and thousands of pet shelters spread all over the, the United States. Um, and even within large cities could be many dozens of places that an animal might, uh, might end up. To things like a uh, European auto manufacturer who's uh, using our technology to track part and chassis assembly as it kind of passes from hand to hand and kind of uh, agent to agent so that if there's some kind of problem or damage detected they can work back to who was responsible for that and ultimately who <laughs> who should pay for that so lots of places where people are trying to share you know either code or data or both across clouds accounts regions and technology stacks so it sounds like a shared database which is what i've heard from a lot of different uh, kind of blockchain vendor companies. Tell me, why is this different than just a shared database? Uh, that, I mean, that's actually a great way to, to think about it. You know, when you walk up today to a technology like, you know, like Oracle or even something perhaps, you know, that's kind of cloud native like, uh, uh, like Amazon Aurora, you bring a data model, you know, in this case in the form of a, of a, of a SQL DDL statement, you give that to the to that service or to that or to that uh, to that enterprise application, and then you know a few minutes later you end up with a table, you know, a database that's capable of giving basically you know one account, you know, one company, one account, one region, centralized storage. And Vendia does something very similar, except when you give us a data model, what you get a few minutes later is a database that can span companies, clouds, accounts, regions, and technology stacks. And so that's kind of the beauty of the decentralized mechanism here, so that lots of different people can potentially participate in that. And different people doesn't necessarily have to mean different companies, although when we think of things like Ethereum, right, that we often think of lots of different people kind of participating in it. In the enterprise case, it could also be multiple departments. It might be um, you know, an automaker that has IoT sensors in a factory in one, co in one country, but needs to process and analyze that data in, um, you know, in a different cloud center in a different country, and just needs a simpler way to move that data and keep those things consistent and operate on them across departments, accounting units, uh, cloud regions, and so forth. So there's a whole span spectrum out there of enterprise use cases that require information to, or code to kind of operate over these disparate regions, accounts, 
uh, clouds and so forth, uh, sometimes within a company, sometimes, sometimes across companies. But yeah, distributed database is a, is a, is a good way to think about it, and uh, you can, we can chat about smart contracts and code on top of it, but at the base layer is always a shared, consistent, up-to-date, as we like to say, you know, acid <laughs> representation of data that can be kept the same everywhere. And that uh, kind of immutable, immutable aspects of kind of uh, similar blockchain technologies where you have a full transaction log of everything that's happened, who's done it, and, and what they've done. Well, tell me more about what you might want to build on top of this shared database model. Sure. So uh, I think maybe, uh, maybe David and I can each take a, a stab at this because we do have people who come at it from from different perspectives. You can think of it as just an easier, more complete, more kind of application ready way to build a great serverless app. We also have a lot of customers, uh, kind of our more top-down sales model where you know, we've got an enterprise that is looking for, has a particular problem to solve, right? And is looking for a, uh, looking for a solution. One of our customers, for example, in the, in the travel industry, uh, settles airline flight, uh, payments and uh, and associated kind of ledgering information, ledger in the in the financial sense in this case. So we help them out with a single consistent uh, representation that can span different airlines, different payment and financial institutions, as well as just basically keeping now one set of books uh, consistent, correct, and always up to date. By doing that and doing that quickly, you can cut down on the amount of you know the amount of money or the amount of the sort of the amount of money that has to be carried there over time. We can do the transactions more effectively. Everyone has a consistent, always up to date view of that of that information. That both lowers costs and increases the monetization opportunities. You can imagine, for for example, with the airline loyalty programs, how having uh, having that up to date information both helps with uh, fraud detection and prevention but also with the opportunity to give customers the kinds of opportunities that those, uh, you know, those respective companies are looking to offer them, especially at a time when the travel industry is looking to monetize the recreational and, and opportunistic upsell in that case. And so we're a piece of plumbing for all of that, right? We, uh, we don't build the application piece of the stack. We're the part that makes sure that hundreds of different airlines, you know, different financial institutions, and some of these settlement agencies in the middle can share that information in a way that is trustworthy, secure, reliable, and uh, and always up to date, replacing a lot of these very you know older school kind of DIY systems or ERP systems that tend to be expensive, slow, and and require a lot of a lot of maintenance. I mean, let's face it, most of them were you know invented 20, 25 years ago before the cloud was uh, you know was even a concept. And David, let me let me hand this over to you because I think it would also be useful to take a look at the the developer uh, experience and perspective here. Yeah, for sure. Like and another like really common use case that we see, and you see this across like multiple uh, you know iterations of the blockchain is is supply chain management. So like. You have when you think about it, you order something comes overseas. It, it it travels through so many hands, and there's so many desperate processes that that goes through. That we're we're even you know talking to some companies that they're still using paper, handing around pieces of paper, and and you can imagine that this is you know costly, takes time, it's prone to human error, and there's a lot of chance for forgery and stuff like that. So. That's really one of the big use cases that, that we're seeing. And the the way that we're approaching that with uh, what we're building at Vindia is 
So instead of every every intermediary in that chain having to have a, a an IT team with a DevOps infrastructure set up to ma- uh, manage and maintain their own blockchain in their own stack wherever they might might be running their stuff, we actually you know provide a kind of a turnkey solution. So anyone that you, you basically hand us your data model, so what is actually passing through. We'll actually spin up that those stacks Tim mentioned, and anyone can join the chain without needing to basically be an expert in any one particular cloud. And so, so what we're trying to do there is really take that paradigm, that kind of the serverless word and paradigm or, or shift brought up was, hey, we want you to focus on uh, your core competencies, not basically the low-lying infrastructure. So when you use these different pieces of serverless technology, you don't need to worry about you know patching your servers, scaling your servers, all the security implications of that. So really what we're trying to do is make that onboarding experience much simpler for developers and companies to adopt. Because one of the use cases Tim mentioned is the, you know, the uh, Best Friends Society. And there's, there's a lot of animal shelters that are, are you know, not very technically sophisticated. And we want them to have access to the same data as everyone else has without needing, you know, basically a, an AWS cert, right? So that's that's really how we're approaching it, basically making it very simple and anyone can join the chain. There's multiple ways that you can consume the data. The the layer that developers actually interact with is a, is GraphQL. So if you're familiar with GraphQL, you can consume and, and put stuff onto the chain. And then from that, on top of that, these different use cases can build different clients for the, the, the very, so about going back to the supply chain example, you can build multiple clients for multiple different uh, use cases. So truck drivers might have an app that they see a particular part of the data on chain versus the actual you know, car manufacturer need you know, a different UI, a different experience around that. So we offer that kind of base layer a GraphQL interface on top of their data model. And then underneath that is the typical, you know, blockchain. Well, it's not typical, but a blockchain-like setup where you have that immutability and and you can verify everything on there. Can you guys tell me more about the underlying engineering you've had to build to uh, create this platform? Yeah, there actually, uh, you know, there's some really interesting innovation that we've had to we've had to create here in order to make uh, to make Vendia possible. So, one interesting place to start here is kind of think about uh, you know kind of what was missing from some of these technologies. So, serverless tech uh, things like AWS Lambda are awesome, but you know as we all know, they're they're specific to a particular cloud. Uh, so, you know, you're building a Lambda function, you don't necessarily have an easy way to also hook that up to some data that might be coming in that you might have stored on, say, Google Cloud, or to exhaust it to some maybe something on Azure where you need to take action on it. And, you know, that might not be a big deal for a startup, which could be, you know, built entirely on a single cloud. But when you get to the Fortune 500, you know, they've, through acquisitions, through growth, they generally have a, you know, multiple clouds, whether they like it or not. <laughs> they certainly have partners and, uh, uh, and customers in some of their, those cases, uh, which, are, which are going to necessarily also make them multi-cloud. So part of what we were gunning for here was take some of the best of serverless and help people get to it from wherever they happen to be and help them reach out to wherever they need to go. 
And that's um, that's a little bit of a different uh, multi-cloud strategy than uh, than kind of the single cloud serverless uh, serverless efforts. And the thing that was key to that was having a distributed ledger. So we sort of filled in that missing piece of uh, having a data model for things like Lambda functions, uh, and then also using that data model. This was kind of the you know the trick was you know use that data model to also reach out across to the different clouds because it gives us an obvious way that we can have a you know an asset level representation of of equivalent consistent uh, correct data in all the different places that that needs to be. So at the core of India is a think of it as a you know as a blockchain built by someone who you know grew up in the cloud. So it's built you know no servers no containers built entirely out of managed services. So things like lambda functions, AWS step functions, on the AWS piece of this, for instance, things that have uh, built into them the fault tolerance, scalability, kind of managed outcomes that also let us very easily scale this up to you know thousands or even tens of thousands of transactions per second. And that was one of the big challenges here was you know we looked at all the existing tech out there, Ethereum, uh, Hyperledger Fabric, you know these, you know in the case of the public chains like Ethereum. 14 transactions per second is just not going to cut it for, uh, for the enterprise. And then all the hacks that people do, the side chains, the off-chain work, uh, it kind of blunts the value, the impact, or even the correctness of that. And we don't want any of those outcomes. We wanted something where all of the data, all of the time, all of the code, all of the time could operate on-chain, whether that's you know, data, you know, classic scalers in a database, or more blob and, uh, and file-oriented information stored in something like S3 or, or, or Azure Blob Store. So we built something that allows kind of all of those pieces to stay consistent together, fully cloud-native, kind of in the cloud, for the cloud, <laughs> by the cloud, and yet has all those properties of a blockchain. So we do a multi-phase uh, uh, commit at the heart of this that keeps all of the different representations in sync. We use a NoSQL database to store the scalar side of the data. We use blob stores like S3 or Azure or Azure Store to hold the, the unstructured data. And then we do the tamper-proofing by combining the information from all of those pieces. So think of it as kind of a, you know, being able to construct a Merkle tree across all of the scalar data as well as all of the, um, the blob data and put all of that together so that you have a single tamper-proof ledger that speaks to it regardless of how we've chosen to store it in the cloud. And then because it is in the cloud, the scalability and also the ease of access uh, makes it very easy for us to turn this into an application platform. Because the other side of this picture isn't just, can you have a tamper-proof ledger? Can you write a smart contract as a Lambda function? It's also, can a developer use this effectively? And for that to happen, you need you need things like you know, S3 or like Lambda functions that are really easy to use, that have the right operational properties, the right scalability properties, and then could also integrate with existing enterprise solutions. One of the challenges we found in practice, and this was certainly true in my experience at Coinbase, you know, like running an Ethereum fleet, it's, it's, it's expensive, <laughs> it's, uh, it's time consuming, it's, it's personnel consuming. We wanted to deliver something in a SaaS style venue that would be really easy for people to get up and running and could accommodate enterprises and, and uh, you know, an SMB customers that might be as small as, you know, a few people in a startup all the way up to the Fortune uh, uh, 100 because they have such varying uh, IT needs in terms of the, the fluency and the operational support. And so that was, that was kind of one of the guiding principles of our, of our architecture. David, I know you've also kind of been uh, front and center of a lot of this. Uh, maybe you want to add, a, add, a, add in there to that, uh, to that uh, kind of your own story here and some of the ways in which we make that happen. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're we're definitely dog fooding, you know, everything that we're doing. It's, you know, a, a lot of the stuff is, you know, we're building mainly in a serverless fashion, you know, using a lot of the AWS CDK. Um, yeah, every almost every service we have, well, I guess every service we do have is a serverless service. And yeah, that kind of gives us this kind of flexibility. We're doing some interesting stuff with how we how we build out this this multi-tenanted uh, model, but yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a fun thing to build. And I, I think you know uh, Tim wrote a, a blog post a while back. I recommend people go check out on just like the scalability concerns around traditional blockchains and and how he was kind of thinking about this when him and Truthy started Vendia. Just. We're, we're trying to address that 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 bottleneck of the the transactions per second, and, and by leveraging these cloud services, we're we're really addressing that, and uh, we're seeing some promising results. It's one of the one of the nice things about that performance and scalability is um, when you switch from kind of a server to serverless, you you know you can escape the limitations of a single machine. I think a lot of people wonder or, or may suspect like maybe Ethereum is slow because of some complicated math problem that hasn't been solved yet. Like it has nothing to do with that. It, the, you know, at the core of it, it's a peer-to-peer data sharing network that runs on you know, PCs basically. And so once you hit the memory, the CPU, the network, uh, the NIC limits of a single machine, Ethereum can't and Hyperledger Fabric <laughs> or even some of the more, uh, the more, more recent chains, like, like none of them can scale beyond that because that's inherent to their architecture. And as we all know, a single machine is never how you build a distributed system, right? You know, true, scalable distributed systems like Lambda run on millions of machines. And so we said to ourselves, you know, we need an architecture that puts a supercomputer into every node of a blockchain. And that's where serverless plays an important role here. It's not just that it makes our company go faster, makes us able to do more with, with less, although it's certainly all of that. The key architectural outcome is that it let us put essentially infinite power into every node of a, of, of a blockchain by building it that way. And that was kind of a revolution, right? Like it's, that's the thing about Vendia that's unlike any of the other uh, similar distributed ledger concepts uh, out there and gets us around this, you know, these inherent storage, compute, and network limitations. So were those the limitations of the other shared distributed ledgers? The, was it a bottleneck in the speed and transactionality? I thought it was more kind of a difficulty in finding the right customers, finding the right product market fit. I mean, I remember talking to, like, Microsoft had a pretty big industrial blo- uh, blockchain or, or what is it you know shared shared between in- industries blockchain initiative um, and it always seemed like the customer demand was not really there H- have you found enough customers that are interested in the kind of data sharing that you're building yeah we felt what we found is there's no shortage of interest in in, in building better and more effective ways to share information uh, across companies to uh, one easy, one sort of uh, one sort of in-market uh, alternative and incumbent that you can look at there is you know is, is SAP, right? I mean, it, it's it's made its SAP's business is you know is this ERP, a big chunk of which is helping companies share and process information that that uh, kind of comes and goes in and out of their four walls, right? Uh, that uh, supply chain information, logistics information, partner information, in some B two B cases also customer information. Uh, so. You know, those are you know that and some of the the large uh, uh, the large kind of 
cross data sharing, cross data sharing applications, even the kind of things that Snowflake does today. You know, that's a collectively speaking, uh, tens to hundreds of billion dollar market. The amount of uh, money and time that people put into building and buying API solutions that sit on the surface area of their enterprises, and then all the challenges they have around trying to make the, what's flowing on those APIs look like you know, consistent, correct, up-to-date information with their, you know, with their, with their partners upstream and downstream. Those are huge markets today. Huge, um, you know, huge amount of TAM that that's that's out there. What I think has happened is that the first generation of blockchains spurred a lot of interest as a potential way to tackle some of those problems, uh, and then also kind of suffered an equivalent level of burnout when. You know, the TPS wasn't there, the, uh, the difficulty of deploying those technologies uh, became uh, kind of obvious and prohibitive. I mean, even just figuring out how to scale a fi uh, you know, file storage on uh, Hyperledger Fabric uh, is, <laughs> is challenging. The man even a managed service like Amazon Managed Blockchain, I think, has something like a couple of hundred steps to get going. And that's, and that's the easy button <laughs> solution. So, you know, all of that is is obviously uh, uh, it's it's prohibitive and it's a it's a challenge for an enterprise that's looking to deploy that and turn those technology concepts concepts into solutions. Uh, one of the things that I, I think we did uh, you know we did that was interestingly different was try to get closer to where customers are today in terms of both their needs, their problems, but also their existing technology solutions and offer them less of a kind of DIY gap <laughs> between uh, where the tech is and where their application solutions would, uh, would have to start. Obviously, as you, you know, said, you see a lot, of, a lot of that kind of early interest in blockchain kind of sparked and so a lot of it fizzled out. It's you know, sort of that trough of despair now. I would say as an entrepreneur, I'm actually very interested <laughs> in the troughs of despair because they are often where you can build value and then actually get that value to write up, not on hype, but on real actual production uh, deployments, and you know we've been we've been uh, delighted to start signing actual contracts with actual customers and get uh, you know get those great proof points that there is in fact uh, you know a need out there that if you provide the right product and, and product market fit that customers will indeed be interested in it. I'd add that the the onboarding ramp of of kind of the the blockchain as we know it thus far has has it's it's a pretty steep one, right? Like if you want to do smart contracts, you have to write in a, a new foreign language that you you don't necessarily know. So those are the those are the type of things that we're trying to address. So like with Vindia, you can write a smart contract in any language that you want. So you don't have to learn a new you know syntax and way of doing things. So we're, we're trying to smooth over the rough edges um, so people can adopt these things. And the, the implementation uh, of this stuff, you know, takes weeks instead of many, many months or, or years to, to actually do. And then, you know, every new partner being onboarded, you know, that kind of expands. So we're, we're trying to, to make that as easy as possible again or around the developer experience. What would be an example of a smart contract that somebody might want to write on top of, I guess, on top of your platform, on top of the data sharing network? Sure. I think, um, you know, a lot of us are, you know, have kind of hear about smart contracts and end up getting familiar with them in the context of, of Ethereum and Solidity and therefore start to think about things like, uh, you know, Uniswap, kind of complex financial derivatives, uh, you know, kind of crypto related outcomes. But a better model for this, and I think a great way for people to think about smart contracts and really understand them, is database triggers. You know, if you look historically, one of the reasons people wrote PL SQL and wrote database triggers is because they wanted 
applications or at least parts of their applications to have a, you know, to operate or expand upon a consistent view of the data, right? Rather than, rather than having to pull for that data periodically or maybe operate on, a, on an inconsistent or incomplete uh, representation of it. And that's the, right, that's the way you should think about smart contracts, you know, especially from something like Vendia is the modern version of a database trigger now just a database that can that can be decentralized, replicated, and distributed across clouds, across accounts, across regions, and yet still have all of those properties that you would want in a in a database trigger. That's one of the reasons why you know we try to get away from these these kind of more arcane and specialized languages and say, you know, what matters is not that uh, not that it's written in solidity. What matters is that the inputs to a function, in this case, uh, you know, a cloud function like a, like AWS Lambda, that the inputs to those come from the chain or they come from the blockchain or the distributed ledger and if it computes something interesting it can return them it can return them back again and so you know anything that would be a natural part uh, at kind of the data or close to the data processing layer then can become a smart contract in that in that world so let's say you're in, you know you're in the airline industry and you're doing loyalty programs you want to put some policies in place maybe that say you know you're uh, somebody who is a, a member of your of your loyalty program can fly on airline A, but not on airline B. They can fly on airline C, but they only get 50% credit uh, when they when they do so. And you can take those policies from a business, in this case a, a travel-oriented business, uh, and turn those into a consistent, computable representation that looks like basically policy enforcement without having to worry that you'll be computing on old data, <laughs> without having to do nightly batches or work on spreadsheets or, you know, God forbid, pick up a phone and, <laughs> and call someone to check on something and turns all of that back into an automated system. We've also had customers at Vendia who've used uh, smart contracts to do things like uh, SLA enforcement on logistics deliveries. So if a delivery doesn't get to its intended uh, recipient within four hours, the person doing the delivery pays a penalty or a fine. And that happens automatically now, so they don't have to go back and call in the lawyers, call in the accountants, call in the engineers to figure out what went wrong. It's all computed off a single uh, share of representation of the data. So policy enforcement, application data layers, you know, things that look like shared SLAs and uh, automated workflows, all of those are fantastic candidates for representation as smart contracts. And by lowering the barrier to entry to being able to write and read and, and operate those contracts, we make it possible for all of those parts of existing enterprise applications to now have a shared and consistent view of that data uh, rather than having to be you know, either shared publicly, which can be, obviously can be very scary, or written into something that is obviously hard for developers to uh, to understand. Tell me more about what you've seen in the early customer deployments of Vendia. Sure, I can I can give you a little bit of uh, some insight. One of the things that we've had the great uh, the great fortune to be able to have uh, Slalom as one of our delivery partners. And they've been working with us on several of our several of our early customer accounts. That customer journey often looks like, you know, as is typical for an enterprise sale, looks like usually a pilot or a proof of concept. One of the things that we we try to make, and it's a, it's been a very I think a delightful experience for our customers, is come in, help them put together a simple schema, a simple data model representation, uh, and then build them a working production system in the span of uh, of five to ten minutes. 
And for someone who maybe has been struggling to deploy <laughs> your Hyperledger fabric or a homegrown uh, uh, solution for, you know, for months, that's a refreshing change of pace. So those pilots and POCs often run you know, very quickly for us, within a week, we can usually get the customer to see some initial proof of value, to learn about the system, to get excited about that. And our delivery partners like Slalom uh, are fantastic and also helping to breach, uh, kind of uh, close the gap between Vendia's platform technologies and the customer use cases. Think something like the, uh, you know, the animal society where we want to be able to represent what the, you know, the dogs or the cats, uh, you know, kind of look like on chain, some of the information about them, the state that they're in, you know, where they are in terms of uh, the shelter workflow and process, uh, and then ultimately help build an application that can allow people to, you know, to find pets, to help in the pet recovery system, and of course, uh, hopefully get those pet owners to be able to reconnect with their, you know, with their lost pets uh, and get them back to, back to where they belong. So that often looks like a POC or pilot, uh, then a production uh, implementation, uh, which can range, you know, anywhere from, you know, a few weeks to a few months, depending on the complexity uh, of that. And then at that point, the, the system is in production. One of the nice things about having built this on a serverless core is that we, we can offer customers uh, a very simple, clean experience where they have uh, almost no operational overhead. Uh, and we can do that in a cost-effective way and in, in inside of India because serverless itself has such a low operational footprint for us. You know, no servers to worry about, no, uh, no operating system updates to, uh, uh, to deal with. So that we're able to provide a kind of SaaS experience, even though this is a deeply infrastructure-driven uh, sale and a deeply infrastructure-driven integration experience. Uh, and that integration for customers will typically look like um, you know, hooking up either web and mobile apps, and uh, David can speak a little more to kind of what that experience looks like, uh, or on the cloud side and the back-end systems, perhaps things like uh, PubSub, uh, streaming data, or other mechanisms that they might have uh, today to get the data in, you know, either into that system or exhaust it from the system in order to take uh, more action on it. Uh, David, you might want to take this from a little more of a DevX perspective here, because uh, one of the things we also do is stand up some of the GraphQL capability to help enable web and mobile development. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I mentioned this before, but yeah. So if you, you, you give us your, your data model, right? So you give us your JSON schema with that uh, data model, we will generate a GraphQL backend for you. So, and we're working on automatically generating client SDKs uh, to make the development uh, experience even nicer. Uh, but so once uh, you start uh, actually putting data through the blockchain, we you can query that, uh, whether it's the actual list of transactions or like list all dogs or whatever it might be, whatever your data model uh, is, uh, you can do that via the GraphQL interface. So you get kind of the nice like auto completion of, you know, a graphy cool type experience and it's, it's pretty straightforward to actually build out uh, clients from that. Uh, additionally, with the GraphQL kind of interface, you have the ability to subscribe to changes. So if you want a real-time application that's listening to you know updated or new transactions through your system or new dogs or cats added to the system, et cetera, you can do that as well uh, in the client interfaces that, that our partners like Slalom are building out for our, our end customers. So, Tim, I'm just curious if you if you talk to the OG blockchain people, who I'm I'm sure you have you know plenty that you're friends with because you were you worked at Coinbase, and you tell them about kind of the 
private ledger or semi-private ledger startup you're working on, are they skeptical? Because I find that like when when you talk to blockchain purists, they tend to be kind of skeptical of of private blockchains. What do they think of Vindia? <laughs> no, it's a great it's 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 a great question. And uh, and look, you know, having having also been a part of the uh, of the crypto community and in working at Coinbase and and understanding some of the philosophy there, there are certainly folks on that side of the fence who look at enterprise blockchains and enterprise technologies like Hyperledger Fabric and, and Vendia uh, Askance, you know, in, this, in the same way that the converse is, uh, is true here. I think when you get, when you get past some of the, the theology, <laughs> if, if you will, of, um, of public versus private or, or permission versus permissionless, there are some really interesting technology uh, choices and Options under the under the under the covers there that make that actually make for really interesting um, really interesting concepts. For example, you know it's not the case when, in Vendia that customers simply trust us with their data, right? Like one of the things we didn't do and can't do is simply stand up a database in sort of classic SaaS fashion, if you will, and just take all the customer data from all the different enterprises and slam it all together, right? That doesn't meet our customer expectations. That doesn't meet their compliance expectations. That doesn't provide operational isolation. We you know we still create an individual account for every customer. All their resources are completely isolated at the cloud account level from all other customers. Uh, and that requires us to still build a decentralized solution. And so we actually have a lot in common with, um, you know, even some of the newer technologies like Algorand, Hedera. We share with them a, a belief system that customers should be able to operate in a mutually trustless fashion and that it, that information uh, shouldn't simply be the repository of any one agent or agency on there. It should be something where any of those customers can see, can have and maintain their own unique representation. So I think in that sense, Vidia very much adheres to the, uh, you know, the, the kind of the blockchain ethos, if you want to, if you want to call it that. We've tried to find a way to package and deliver it in a fashion that is more comfortable, familiar, and accessible to enterprises. Hence the desire for SaaS, for cloud-based, and so forth. You know, there's a probably the biggest um, point of division you might ask have here is this question of, you know, are managed services versus just infrastructure rentals sufficiently portable or, you know, disconnected from the interests of an individual CSP? You know, and certainly if we were to build a, uh, an AWS-only solution, I think a lot of blockchain folks would not find that uh, sufficient. One of the things that we're very excited about, of course, is having a multi-cloud solution so that customers can experience the best and the brightest and all the, all the different clouds, but without having to go to the lowest common denominator in terms of what it is that they have to use and port across those. And as I've, you know, I've kind of written about and talked about in other, you know, in other venues, you know, at the end of the day, if you're relying on AWS EC2, that doesn't tie you any less to AWS than, than say, making a Lambda function call or using AWS step functions. Like you're using all the same data center, all the same data center personnel, all the same billing mechanisms under the covers. That is, that is really not a, a a strongly differentiated uh, uh, architectural perspective in terms of whether or not you can, you know, that, that cloud vendor has a, you know, has a connection to your, you know, to your business outcomes and so forth. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, from experience being in uh, at Coinbase that the vast majority of, of Ethereum processing takes place in US East 1. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, if US East 1 goes down, uh, <laughs> Ethereum's having a, having a very bad day. So it is not divorced from uh, from cloud vendors or cloud vendor outcomes in a you know in an operational or practical uh, sense even though that is sort of the religion of uh, uh, of some parts of that community 
how do you see Vindia maturing? Like, what do you see as the, the future of the platform? So we're doing, I think, much like AWS Lambda did in its early days, we're really growing in three different uh, directions here. One is what we call, uh, and much of what we've been talking about here today, what we call Vendia Share, that's kind of our mainstream product, enterprise focus, kind of classic enterprise sale, uh, you know, very platform focused around code and data. Another way in which we're growing is creating things on top of that platform. One of the ones that uh, I think we're both really excited about, we call the Vendia Virtual Data Lake. Uh, think of it as taking uh, file sharing and then putting all the metadata, the lineage, the permissioning and so forth for those files uh, into a blockchain. And so obviously we do that on top of our existing, our existing platform and it's a really easy way for people to be able to share uh, unstructured data, files in the cloud, uh, but without losing control. Imagine you know, giving away that information just like you might on uh, something like Dropbox, but then having a button that says you, know, you wanna call that information back again. You can kind of uh, revoke that access down the road. Uh, and so we can do all of that through the, you know, through the benefits of keeping a tamper-proof ledger uh, of information about what's been shared with whom along the way and over time. And then the third, the third one here, and the one that uh, you know, David's also been uh, uh, spending a lot of time and energy in, is we want to create a bottom-up developer experience. You know, part of what made serverless so exciting and, and frankly so successful is that lots of people out there in the community found uses for it that might not even have been imagined by us at uh, AWS you know, back, in the, back in the day when we uh, were first working on it. And we think the same thing is true here. We want uh, Vendia to be the easiest, fastest, simplest way to experience and develop serverless apps uh, for any cloud, and uh, even, even across clouds. And that to do that and to really be successful at that, we need to get that into the hands of, you know, of millions of developers. So we're working on our, um, on our preview release, uh, which we'll have out in a private beta in December, uh, and then we'll be opening that up to additional folks uh, in January at the start of uh, the new year. And we're looking forward to getting lots of feedback and seeing what people build with it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to that. One, one of the things that we're trying to do, there, there's this big educational component around this, right? Like a lot of uh, developers out there, myself included up until, you know, six months ago, I, I wouldn't have considered using any type of, of blockchain for my data store. You know, I typically use DynamoDB for something. But just the, the properties you get from, from putting something into a database and having a full transaction history, an immutable transaction history of what's happening, um, gives you a, a lot more flexibility around what you can do. I don't think too many developers are thinking about that. I think a, a lot of folks out there are still in the right in place kind of mentality around their database. And there was a time and place for that because like data, you know, data storage was expensive. We're in this world where like compute is, is getting cheaper every day. Storage is getting cheaper every day where there's, there's really no reason why you, you couldn't have an immutable history of your database, what it's looked through, looked like at like basically every point in time. Um, and kind of the the benefits that fall out of that, and just kind of the compliance regulations and and all kinds of GDPR stuff that that falls into that. So um, we're really excited to kind of get the word out there. You can build a, a, quite a quite a number of different types of applications. We're we're going after a lot of the the traditional kind of distributed ledger blockchain stuff first because it that makes sense. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting what you can do with this. You know, again, we're, we're providing you with an API. That's a GraphQL API. It, it, 
it would be indistinguishable from just you setting up your own, you know, app sync client or, or what have you. Um, so you could use it for some traditional use cases as well. And then you get all those kind of benefits I mentioned just out of the box. So just to revisit it one more time, because I know that there's going to be blockchain sticklers in the audience. What is the difference between what you're building and a shared database? You know, the easiest way to think about it is Hyperledger Fabric with every node having essentially unlimited resources. So the same tamper-proofing, consensus, uh, multi-node, multi-party guarantees that you would get with a, you know, this is the this is sort of the leading contender in the space, you know, uh, the, the, with, uh, with something like Hyperledger Fabric. Uh, we provide all those same guarantees, all those same uh, outcomes and capabilities, but we've built this and architected this in a, in a very different fashion, right? Built off of a very different technology core. And that gives us a, a unique set of properties and obviously a different, a different set of customer outcomes when it comes, especially when it comes to things like performance, integration, and, uh, and, and ease of use. But the, the guarantees around replicated data that say Hyperledger Fabric would, uh, um, uh, would produce, or even that say Ethereum, Algorand, Hedera, take your pick of kind of the newer chains, all similar, all similar outcomes, right? They all guarantee a tamper-proof ledger. They all guarantee that all machines maintain a replicated uh, representation at the same time. And all of them, in some way, shape, or form, allow you to take uh, some kind of code action on top of the current state of the database, you know, aka a, a, a smart contract. Uh, and so we've done all of those, we've done all of those same pieces. The form factor could be very can be uh, seen in a very different way. For us, for example, most of our customers want us to manage the, their accounts uh, for them, even though we're still building it in a decentralized, uh, decentralized fashion. But there is, no, there is no single centralized database. In fact, Vindia does not want and is not, uh, does not allow itself to see, does not want to see uh, customer data, doesn't want to own the customer data. Um, it's very important to us that that be a, a database that our customers own uh, and, and operate in an isolated account, not something that we share and not something that we would, um, you know, where we would take that data and multi-tenant it uh, ourselves and, and uh, you know, and, and manage that on their behalf. So that piece is, you know, is, uh, is very different from just running a, a database uh, implementation. All right. Well, as we begin to wind down, I want to ask uh, each of you, kind of your vision for the future of something. Tim, maybe you could give your vision for the future of crypto infrastructure since you worked at Coinbase for a pretty long time. And uh, David, you could give your vision for the future of serverless since you worked at Netlify and Serverless Inc. Sure. I, mean, I, I can, um, let me, let me kind of start by saying, you know, I think crypto has been and continues to be, I think, very successful as an economic tool, as a store of value and somewhat but certainly not fully realized yet as a as a, as a transfer of value and a, and a, and a kind of a transfer uh, and payment mechanism um, even though it holds up it holds great promise for that one of the challenges for crypto infrastructure i think is going to continue to be the challenges of scale and particularly scale with integrity i think as you kind of move to off chain and side chain and kind of increasingly divorced mechanisms that are really under the covers just uh, just good old fashioned centralized apps again you start to dilute and diminish some of the value of those of those systems and so i think what you're seeing ethereum and others wrestle with here is the limitations of that kind of single box deployment methodology and 
what they're going to do about that. And how do they kind of go from the 14 TPS to, you know, 14,000 or 14 million uh, TPS? Uh, so that, that feels like the single biggest challenge ahead for that, um, uh, for that community. And it continues to be something that is kind of deeply wired into the architectural limitations today. And so I think they're going to continue to wrestle with not just how to slightly tweak a consensus algorithm, but how to kind of fundamentally rethink some of the things that are holding back the transaction power and, uh, and capabilities there. I think the form factor stuff, people will figure that out. I think you're already seeing a lot of companies and startups trying to make Ethereum easier to consume. Uh, I think that's a simpler problem to resolve than, uh, you know, than some of the fundamental architectural ones. But over the course of the next 10, 20 years, I think that's where crypto is going to go. I think it's going to be a long, difficult road, but uh, some of those pieces like shifting from proof of work to proof of stake are already well underway. And I think you'll see more kind of sea changes like that coming uh, down the road just based on some of the newest crypto stuff that, uh, that I've seen people working on. So very hopeful for the future. Also very hopeful for the economic role that, that crypto can play. I think done right. It helps the you know bank the unbanked. It helps make people resilient to things like, you know, to wars and, and kind of loss of personal property and, uh, and uh, relocation. And so I, you know, and I kind of think forward maybe to sort of the, <laughs> the future here. We've all had a very trying 2020. I have a lot of hope that uh, uh, crypto will be able to address some of those challenges in the future. Yeah. And on the serverless front, you know, it, it, we, we've come quite a long way and I'm surprised, you know, that we have the father of serverless here on the call. So <laughs> I'm sure Tim has ideas on this as well, but we've come a long way since, since, you know, serverless kind of came to be with Lambda, then API gateway, uh, you know, back, back in the day, you know, you, you'd have to upload zip files of your code. It, it wasn't super straightforward. It, the, again, like kind of that development hurdle was there, but the tooling around the industry has, has come quite a long way. So now with just, just a couple lines of code and a single command, you can get your Lambda functions up and running in the cloud. It'll scale for you, paper execution, you know, the whole serverless kind of spiel. The other the other kind of interesting thing that we're, we're seeing is the, the kind of arbitrary limits of the cloud, like, you know, previously Lambda functions would only run for a max of five minutes. That's been lifted to 15 minutes. Um, I don't have any inside baseball, but I don't see like why that couldn't lift even further. There's just like a lot of the limits. Cold starts have gone way down. They're, they're doing a ton of, uh, of stuff around that. So it's, it's very uh, interesting to see uh, all these all these different improvements from the the cloud providers. Additionally, there's all these companies like Netlify that are trying to kind of streamline over uh, the the intricacies of of the of these different cloud UI consoles and how they're kind of not as easy to approach. So a lot of developers are picking up these new technologies, going serverless, using best of breed tools to actually like deliver uh, results instead of kind of, oh, we need an email tool. All right, let's spend six months building a transactional email service. They're, they're leveraging these, these tools that are out there to, to get things done and actually focus on their, their core competencies. I think I see uh, infrastructure as code where it's it's been around for a while, but more and more developers are adopting that model, which is which is very promising to see. So so again, you can deploy, you know, a number of different stacks with a single command into, into multiple stages. 
without this kind of error prone, you know, bash scripts and all this other stuff that, that we used to do. And then the other thing that I'm, I'm super excited about and super bullish on is, is just, again, back to this idea of the, the ser- serverless supercomputer. So there's a, there's a bunch of interesting projects out there uh, and a bunch of interesting research from Stanford and, and, and other places where they're taking these, these processes that, that typically run in a single machine and it's like a large instance of something and breaking those jobs down into thunks or tinier pieces and, and just distributing that out, you know, shotgun into many, many, many uh, thousands of Lambda functions that are running in parallel. So things that would take normally take 13 plus hours to do, you know, they can do uh, relatively quickly with, with just, again, an army of Lambda functions doing that compute. Uh, I think we're going to see more and more use cases of that. And yeah, I have a, I have a blog post on that serverless supercomputer. If folks are interested in, in learning more about some of those projects and hat tip to uh, Tim to kind of tipping me off to that world. Tim, I don't know if, we, if, if you have time to go over a little bit, but if you have any perspective on serverless, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> you know, always, uh, always happy to opine on serverless. I, you know, look, I think David hit some of the, uh, I think David hit some of the important highlights here. Probably by the time uh, viewers are listening to this to this podcast, some of the the new stuff will have from reInvent will have come out from AWS. I, you know, I'm not gonna, I can't obviously can't tip my hat on, on on that, but I will say that you know that that team that I started there, you know, continues to do amazing work. Continues to think about how to bring serverless to more people, more form factors, more use cases, and I think you're going to see that. Uh, I think you can see that continue to happen. One of the most in- important pieces is how to selectively enable state. You're seeing Vendia tackle that in one way by providing a replicated data store on top of which serverless can run as in the form of smart contracts or database triggers. Uh, I think you're going to continue to see that in uh, streaming data, how to make it really easy to use things like Amazon Kinesis or Kafka with serverless. Uh, today, the binding between the, uh, the compute state and the streaming data information uh, say if you want to do windowed computations is really challenging to uh, to make work and so i think there's going to be some continued progress in that fashion you know as david said uh, the operational aperture if you will continues to widen so we've seen uh, we've seen this kind of growth of serverless being something that's good for cron jobs to something that's good for event handlers to in the case of things like the bbc it's now a mainstream application for their customer uh, their mission crystal critical you know, customer rendering outcomes. And I think you're going to continue to see that, you know, e-tailers who use it for flash sales and other things, that mainstreaming of, of uh, serverless into the, the real-time synchronous uh, business use cases. Uh, that was certainly one of the hottest growth areas when I was still at AWS, and I'm sure that continues to be a use case that's expanding, you know, kind of by leaps and bounds for, for Lambda and the, other, and the other serverless outcomes. You know, and then as, as, as David said, there's some incredible research going on here. We don't have time to kind of dip into a kind of a full survey of that, but some really interesting outcomes as people look at, for example, how could you take, uh, say, you know, uh, Python pandas or something similar and reimagine that as a, uh, as a serverless implementation? Uh, and how can you get the, the power and benefit of the cloud so that these large, complex uh, data pipelines 
that have even within them have very varying needs of memory of compute power and so forth can start to become more cost effective more scalable more resilient and easier to use and i think that's going to be just transformative. Uh, same thing that kind of Databricks did to the uh, the Hadoop world. I think serverless computing is going to ultimately do to uh, some of the existing companies and technologies uh, over time. And so that's a that's a really exciting area to keep watching as well. Well, all right, guys, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Really wide ranging conversation. I look forward to seeing where Vindia takes you. Awesome, Jeff. Thanks so much. Uh, our pleasure to be here, and really appreciate the opportunity to chat about the the company and perspective and direction. Check us out or learn more at www.vindia.net and please sign up for the developer preview if you're a developer.